0: Hello and welcome to Movement, the weekly podcast for South Aussie Baptists to listen and imagine together. Each fortnight, we interview a leader from within our movement and then ask them to share one of their recent sermons with us the following week. Welcome back to Movement Podcast. I'm here again with Mal Good. Mal, it's good to talk to you again. Yep, good to be here. Uh, Last time we chatted, we were in Kalkarindji together. This time you're in Darwin, I'm in Adelaide. Uh, in this episode, we're hearing uh, a sermon that you've uh, preached recently. Um, what do you want us to know before we have a listen together? Well, when you asked for you know a, a message to share, I immediately phoned a friend and said which one, <laughs> and and they were a true friend because they said Mal, all your sermons are good, but um, but the <laughs> one on the twenty first of August was was great. So that's the one we're going with. It, it was titled, I think, a long and windy road. Okay, uh, just, yeah. just acknowledging that the Christian life it can be challenging. Um, there's some parts of that journey which are really exciting and really great and yeah. other parts of that journey that are, well, probably just frustrating and, and sometimes really, really challenging. True. So, yeah, this passage is based on Psalm 44 and what happens when you kind of, you know, you're doing what the Lord's calling you to do, but things don't go well. We have a very multicultural congregation. We have uh, a lot of folk that have spent years in refugee camps and they come to Australia and it's like almost like I'm coming to the promised land. Yeah. Uh, you know, they feel safe and accepted, but some of them still face massive challenges. And so I guess we're just trying to address that. And the psalm, yeah, just finishes with a, a great reminder of the Lord's unfailing love. Excellent. Thanks, Matt. Really looking forward to hearing it. Let's have a listen together. No worries. God bless. A few months back, a matter of fact, I think it was last year, Chris and I bought a painting from a Yundamu artist. Uh, Lavinia uh, was uh, at the college, at Noongalinga College, just um, down the road there a little bit. And uh, she graduated uh, from her class and they had an exhibition and uh, this is one of the paintings. And uh, Chris and I managed to get in first before others... Uh, I sought to outbid us. Um, but I love this painting because it reminds me that life is a journey. A life is a journey, isn't it? And, um, our Christian life is a journey. Jesus said on a number of occasions, Follow me. And matter of fact, in all four Gospels, Jesus says, Follow me. To Peter and his brother Andrew, who were fishermen. Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people, Jesus says in Matthew. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. Jesus said to Levi, the tax collector, follow me. And Jesus got up and followed him. That was in Mark. Interestingly, as I looked at that passage, when Jesus says to Levi, to Matthew, follow me, the next verse, Jesus is in his house. And so I'm wondering whether Jesus was actually walking to Matthew's house when he said, come follow me. would have been a surprise for him when he got to his house. But anyway, in a conversation with the rich ruler, in Luke's gospel, Jesus says to him eventually, come follow me. And in John's gospel, Jesus finds Philip and says, follow me. Philip finds Nathaniel, and they both end up following Jesus life is a journey. Later on in John's gospel, John chapter 10, Jesus says, "My sheep listen to my voice, I know them and they follow me." We are on a path. We are called to follow Jesus. Jesus' life in first century Galilee models for us a life that he calls us to live. And his spirit guides us and enables us to follow him in 2022 here in Australia or anywhere else in the world for that matter. The Christian life is a life spent following Jesus. There is a path that he calls us to follow. In Matthew 7, Verses 12 to 14, it says this, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. It's called the golden rule. Enter through the narrow gate. Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. The path that we are called to take is a narrow path, not a wide path. The wide path approach in Australia says you can do whatever you want. The wide path approach in Australia says if it feels good, just do it. But Jesus calls us to follow him and that is a narrow path, a narrow road. In this painting... What I love about it is that it's a windy path. It's a windy path. It curves this way and it curves that way. And that reminds me that we cannot see the end. I can remember being a young boy and and being in the car with Dad and, and asking, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And Dad would say, just around the next corner seemed to be a lot of next corners. I can remember being a dad and having the kids in the back seat and I can remember driving from Perth uh, to Kalbarri, I think it's about 600 kilometres and we were just out of Perth, maybe 50 kilometres out of Perth and from the back seat, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And wise dad said, just around the next corner and the one after that. The road that we are called to take is a narrow road and it's a windy road. Today, I'd like you to think about the path that your life has taken. For all of us, this path will have had twists and turns. For all of us, it would have had unexpected twists and turns. For many of us, it would have had Twists and turns that we had absolutely no control over. But we are all on a path, and our story in life to this point in time is that path. I want you to think about that path, and, and interestingly, isn't it amazing that today our path has led us all here? There are times when our paths come together, and today's one of those times. Maybe Darwin is one of those times. Who, I mean, who have you thought that in 2022 you would be living in Darwin? Anyone, anyone think that? I didn't. If you'd asked me seven years ago, so where will you be living in seven years' time? Darwin wasn't on the map, and I suspect for a lot of you here today, that's the same thing. You might have been in the Congo or in the Philippines or in uh, Indonesia or. In Canada, you might be in any part of the world and if someone had asked you a decade ago or two decades ago, where will you be in 2022, you probably didn't even know where Darwin was. And here we are. Life is a path and it has twists and turns. It's a windy path, just like the one in the painting. And while uh, Chris and I were uh, on holidays and... um, it's nice to be back, by the way, and, and there's, uh, i better introduce myself because um, there's some people here that maybe don't know who I am. I'm Mal and my wife, Chris, and we pastor the church here. Uh, we've been away for eight weeks. But while we were away, we went to a place called King's Canyon and uh, Chris uh, told me, don't share too much about our holiday. Uh, so this is the only bit that I'm going to share. Okay. So Chris has no doubt got uh, lots of illustrations that she's going to use. And she shares with us, but uh, we went to King's Canyon and um, there's a walk that you can do, a path that you can take at King's Canyon called the Rim Walk and the promotion for the walk says this, the Rim Walk will take you on a six kilometre circuit transcending down into the Garden of Eden and back to the top to wonder at the 360 degree views. I've got some help, hello. And it goes on, it says, depending on what pace you uh, take to absorb the humbling scenery, the walk can take around three to four hours. Well, I just want to let you know, Chris and I did it in two and a half. Yeah? Okay, that's pretty good. But, you know, to start that walk, you've got 500 steps that go straight up. (laughs) It's tough. It's hard going. But once you get up there, it gets a bit easier. But as I was thinking about that walk around Kings Canyon, it just, it just symbolises for me life. There were, some, there were some tough sections on that track. There were some sections that were like straight up. There were some sections that I was afraid to go on. There were some sections where the path was narrow and then there were other sections where it was a lot wider And it was easy to, to uh, in some areas, to stray off the path and you'd have to look and try and find the marker to point you to where the path was and then you'd come back onto the path. And it reminds me that sometimes we can just wander off the path. But then there's some views that you can see that are off the path and you think, oh, I'd love to go over and see that view and you deliberately wander off the path. I didn't, but you could deliberately wander off that path and there'd be a sign there saying danger, you know, cliffs uh, and, you know, there were, I don't like heights so I didn't get close to the edge but there were big drops of of hundreds of metres. So you could deliberately wander off the path or you could accidentally wander off the path but there was a path and it was marked out. So as we think about this, as we think about our path in life, it's a bit like this King Canyon Walk. There would be parts in our life that would have been relatively easy, that would have been enjoyable, that we would have loved. But there are other parts in our path that would have been hard, that would have been tough, that would have been very tough. And maybe you're in one of those hard parts of your path now. As I said, sometimes the path can be hard because we wander from the path, either deliberately or accidentally. But what happens? What is going on when life is hard, even when our hearts are pure? What happens when we are right in the middle of that path? We're doing what the Lord calls us to do. We're honouring his name. We're living out our lives for him. What happens When life is hard then, what happens when life is hard even when our hearts are pure? When we're walking in the path of righteousness, walking on the right path, what happens? What's going on when we are living out our calling as we should and we find ourselves right in the centre of God's will for our lives but the way ahead is hard or even blocked? How are we to make sense of these hard times? Do we blame God? Do we ask God, where are you? Do you even care? As Chris and I walked around King's Canyon, there were places where the path was not clearly marked out. But then you'd see the sign and you'd get back on track. There were other parts that were hard, even though we were right in the middle of the track. Life can be like this, can't it? There can be times in life that are just hard. You seek to honour the Lord in all your ways. But life just seems to place roadblocks in your way. Psalm 44 is a psalm written at such a time. And we had the first eight verses read to us already this morning and they're great verses. Let's just flick through them again. We have heard with our ears, O God, our ancestors have told us what you did in the days In days long ago. In other words, uh, the ancestors are saying, This is what God did in our day. With your hands, you drove out the nations and planted our ancestors. You crushed the people and made our ancestors flourish. The psalmist is reflecting on the stories passed down from his parents and his grandparents, even from the stories of the ancestors way back in time that he would have no knowledge of. These glory days. And maybe you have parents that go, you know, in my day, in my day. You know, these stories are stories of of the great days of the children of Israel. It was not by sword that they won the land, nor did their arms bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. You are my king and my God who decreed victory for Jacob. Though you were pushed back, through you we pushed back our enemies. Through your name we trampled our foe. I put no trust in my bow, my sword does not bring me victory. But you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God we make our boast all day long and we will praise your name forever. Isn't that a great statement? In God we make our boast all day long and we will praise your name forever. These glory days were not achieved by the people. It was not their strength that won the battle. No, it was the strength and the power of the Lord. It was your right hand, your arm and the light of your face for you love them through you. We push back our enemies. Through your name we trampled our foe. I put no trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory. But you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God we make our boast all day long. And we will praise your name forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. That is how it is meant to be. And then we get this verse. But now, but now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You make us retreat before the enemies and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a pittance, gaining nothing from their sale. You have made us a reproach to our neighbours, the scorn and derision of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations. The people shake their head at us. I live in disgrace all day long and my face is covered with shame at the taunts of those who reproach and revile me because of the enemy who is bent on revenge." Wow, what a turnaround, what a turnaround. All this came upon us, though we had not forgotten you. We had not been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path, but you crushed us and made us a haunt of jackals. You covered us over with deep darkness. Here we have the children of of Israel, they're protesting their innocence. They're going, we've done nothing wrong. We're innocent. We have not strayed from your path and yet this is what you have done. Let's read on. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to foreign gods, would not God have discovered it since he knows the secrets, secrets of the heart? Yet for your sake we face death. All day long we are consumed as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Is it okay to ask God questions? Yes. Yes, awake Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself, wake up. God's meant to be the one that doesn't sleep, isn't he? God's meant to be the one that is awake all the time. In Psalm 121 verse 4 he says, He who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Wake up, wake up. Why do you sleep? Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our misery and oppression? God's not meant to do that, is he? God's not meant to forget. God's not meant to hide his face from us. As a matter of fact, as we think about the children of Israel, the nation was birthed because God heard their cry of suffering. We get this account in Exodus. Exodus 3 verse 7 and 8 says, The Lord said... I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey." This is part of their story. These are the stories that they would have heard passed down from their ancestors. This is central to their identity. Their God sees them. Their God hears them. Their God responds to them. Their God comes down and rescues them. And we see that in Jesus, don't we? The God who comes near, the God who enters into his world, to live amongst us, to bring about his rescue plan. But you know what? As we think about Jesus, we think about a life of suffering, don't we? God's rescue plan involves suffering. We have uh, the servant songs in Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Verse 11, after he had suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Isaiah 53 verse 12, therefore... I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he pours out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressions. Suffering is not a sign that God is asleep or even dead. Suffering is not a sign that God has hidden his face from you or doesn't care about you. Suffering is somehow weaved into God's great plan of salvation. Suffering, however, can bring us to a point where we question God's character, his personality. We can question his eternal qualities. And this psalm finishes with these words. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. Rescue us because this is who you are. You have unfailing love for us. The psalmist invites us to hold on to the Lord's unfailing love. In spite of what it looks like around us, in spite of whether we're winning the battle or losing the battle, The psalmist invites us and encourages us to hang on to God's unfailing love. This is who he is and he has not changed. This is the challenge and it's been a challenge since the beginning of time. Remember the garden and the serpent in Genesis chapter 3? Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord had made and he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The serpent is basically saying if God loves you, he would let you eat the fruit from any tree you like. Does God really love you? Are you really sure that God loves you? I believe that we live in a time where God's love is being questioned. Are you sure that God loves you? Are you sure that God is a God of love? You're sure, aren't you? Can I encourage you to stand firm in the love of God? It's who he is. Stand firm in his unfailing love. Whatever you face in life, stand firm in the love of God. I'd like to to switch to the New Testament and the words of the Apostle Paul who found himself in very hard places, but he held tight to the love of God. And he himself turned to the wise counsel of Psalm 44. Let me finish with these words. Romans 8, reading from verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no. that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. We need to be reminded of that, don't we? I think sometimes we can feel that God has turned his back, Yeah, if we're honest. I think sometimes if we're honest we can feel that God is sleeping and not, and not listening. Sometimes I think maybe we can come to the conclusion that God does not love me, that God does not love you, but he does. He never sleeps. He never turns his face away from us. His love never fails. We see the love of God in the love of Christ our King. Where are you on this path in life? Are you an easy part? Are you in an easy part or are you in a difficult part, a hard part? Are you on the path? Are you on the path? Maybe You've not responded to Jesus when he said, come follow me. And maybe this is an opportunity for you to respond this morning to Jesus' call on your life to follow him in the path of righteousness. Are you on the path? Have you wandered from the path, either by accident or deliberate? May you know the love of God in Christ as he calls you to follow him. Thanks for listening to Movement Today. If you enjoyed this show, then please take a second to give us five stars, tap subscribe and tell a friend. We'll be back next week with another special guest.